Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Baseball season is around the corner, and we will be giving out our favorite futures picks on the Just Baseball Show in the lead-up to opening day. To go along with that, BetMGM has a brand new offer for our listeners. Use code JustBaseball and place your first BetMGM Sportsbook wager through the BetMGM Sportsbook app of at least $5, and you will receive $150 instantly in additional winnings regardless of your wager's outcome. How to get this offer? Step one, download the BetMGM Sports app on iOS or Android or visit BetMGM.com. Step two, sign up and deposit at least $5 into your newly created account. Step three, place a wager in the amount of at least $5 at standard odds price. Step four, once you have placed a bet, you will receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of the outcome of your wager. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York and call 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 21 plus only, please gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, and 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use code JUSTBASEBALL and get $150 when you bet at least $5 on your first wager. Wednesday, February 21st on the Just Baseball Show. Jack, Aram, and I'm Peter. Guys, it's time for the countdown. We know what episode this is. Three, two, one. Mailbag. So here's the thing. Aram, here's what kills me about this is the last time Aram didn't even mouth it. And now Aram is lip syncing the harmony, which is getting there. He's getting there, slowly but surely. We're going to get mail next time. We're going to get bag the time after that. And then the whole word, uh, what, three from now. You you understand I'm shy, right? (laughs) It's us three on Zoom, man. I am, though. I pretend nobody's, we're talking to nobody. Um, That's the only reason why I can do this thing. And we definitely aren't talking to nobody. We have tons of questions. Want to thank everybody for asking them on the Instagram at just baseball show and on Twitter at just BB underscore media. Again, tons of questions. Thank you all so much for asking them. We have 10 ready to go. But before we get there, I want to address two elephants in the room. One for the people on YouTube and one for Aram. Number one, I have a sty on my right eye. Oh, yeah, that's why you're wearing the glasses. Yeah, And it looks like I have pink eye. I don't have pink eye, 
but it does hurt. It is irritated and kind of props me for even being here. Just getting and through the pain. Something 100%. Anthony Rendon has no idea about. A hundred percent. We were also talking about the warm compress before we hit the record button. So make sure you continue to do the warm compress. I'd recommend right before pretty much every meal. You're doing it three times a day. You can't get enough warm compress on that thing. Arm, what was your reaction when I took off the sunglasses? I honestly thought you got like punched in the face or something. Yeah. Like I was yeah. like, oh, it's like, what did what did Peter do? Who did he piss off? Uh, but uh, did, did Brian Hayes hear the slander and come over and just uh, stick you real quick? But it was actually Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Oh, it would be Vladdy Jr. Yeah. But uh, the black guy would be way worse. Your face <laughs> would be indented. That guy definitely has a right hook and a half. No, Vladdy would probably miss and probably swing his arm directly into Whoa. the ground. Yeah, I'd say he'd hit you right into the ground. <laughs> right into the ground. The second elephant in the room, before we get into the mailbag, Aram, I did release a video, the biggest bet of my life, mm-hmm. fading your team, your mm-hmm. initial thoughts. I endorsed it. You know, I I, <laughs> I, I think, look, Bruce Sherman, Marlon's owner, just, just came out and said, yeah, attendance was up 29% last year. We're still in last place in the league, but we're really encouraged by the 29% increase in attendance. Uh, that's great, but the payroll is going to be what 20% less this year if they don't sign anybody else. So really interesting way to, to reward the fans for, for showing up. So look, I, I they lost a layer. We've talked about it. We're going to do all the previews and, and the bets and everything uh, in terms of over under win totals. But I will say, I think this is one of your best bets and I don't think you're going to be sweating it very much. Knock on wood. But like the thing is, is even if they're around that 75, 76 win total, they're going to sell. Like, they're going to trade some guys away. This is Peter Bendix, man. He's not going to mess around. So we'll see what happens. But I mean, this team's not good. And I think we'll see that. You just Got said it. knock on, he just said knock on wood that your bet hits, saying knock on wood that the team I grew up rooting for, my favorite, my favorite. And actually, that was, that was a Freudian slip, I guess, there. <laughs> but I mean, I, I want to see the Marlins do well. But, you know, at this point, if the Marlins win 82 games, don't make the playoffs and Peter loses a lot of money, it's just like misery all around. <laughs> like, yeah. Because then you got to get on Zoom with him, and it's like, your team screwed me, man. And it's like, sorry. Sorry. And then we have Why didn't you tell me they were going to win 82 is what Peter is going to say to me. Guaranteed. (laughs) Right. Um, Guaranteed. Absolutely. Um, But yeah, for anybody listening and unsure kind of what we're talking about, five unit play, Miami Marlins under 78 and a half wins on BetMGM, the title sponsor of the Just Baseball Show. And remember, we have another offer. You heard it in the beginning. $5 $5 gets you 150 not the full 158 like the Super Bowl, but the offer still stands. Make sure you put $5 on standard odds, minus 110. You'll get loaded in $150 in bonus bets for free in your account on BetMGM. Remember to use code JustBaseball. Terms and conditions apply. Must be 21 or older. Gambling problem, call or text 1-800-GAMBLER. Jack, you also had something off the top before we get into the questions. Yeah, so the initial remark was made on Sunday, and I've sat with it yesterday, sat with it today. You're hearing this on Wednesday. Bryce Harper wants an extension, apparently. Hmm. Harper and Scott Boris have started conversations with Dave Dombrowski about a possible extension to take him into his 40s. If if you're unaware of Bryce Harper's contract situation, he has eight years of control with no options and a full no-trade clause remaining on his deal. He will make $26 million for the next five years, 
and $22 million after that. He is up after his age 38 season. There are eight years remaining on his fully guaranteed contract with the Philadelphia Phillies, the team he said he wants to retire with, and he's already talking about a contract extension. I get that, hey, the market has shifted. 26 this year for Bryce Harper looks like an an extreme underpay. Having said that, he agreed to the deal. We've got eight more years on this thing. Yeah. It it is putting my brain into a pretzel, trying to figure out why on earth the Phillies would even entertain extending a guy that has eight years of control at over $20 million a year. And I love Bryce Harper. We just we can't hand superstars extensions when they have eight years left. It that like made me borderline angry reading the details of of this extension ask Aram, before you know you, you answer that question kind of from jack do you think that it's bryce harper going to boris and being like i want more years of control or do you think it's boris going to harper and saying hey i think we can get some more deal more years on this deal a great question I, I mean i think boris is always going to be trying to do that i think a lot of times players are like yeah yeah whatever uh but i i think it takes two to tango here so i think the answer is both you know i think both are on the same page with this and i i think ultimately boris probably feels like he undersold harper a little bit at the time we didn't think that that would be the case uh i think boris probably feels like oof we probably should have had some outs in here knowing that if you're a superstar you always have outs because you know the market can rapidly change and you set the market so if you're a guy that can set the market you should always have outs lebron is a one-year deal every single year for the last like eight years it was brady too brady was signing Uh, one year deal after one year deal harper's in that conversation of of that you know he's not one of the he's not the greatest like like brady and arguably lebron not getting into that on this podcast god forbid that'll be the day i drop off of it actually but let's do that let's, let's do, that do lebron right. versus mj for this whole episode. <laughs> yeah like but the point is like you know i think they messed up not having outs it's funny mookie Betts has a similar situation and he's up at, at, at 2032 uh but the difference with Betts is he's making more on the back end you know he's making 30 million starting in 2028 which is up from 25 now and then even on the last two years it goes back down to 27 and a half the thing with harper is it kind of ticks back downwards. So yeah. I wonder if he wants a higher amount starting in 2029, because right at 2029, it goes from $26 million, which is what he's making from now every year until 2028. Then 2029, the final three years of the deal, he's making 22 million a year. So I wonder if it's almost like the arbitration leverage type of thing where he gets more money in 29, 30, 31, and maybe they only tack on one or two more years. I'll say this. I'm happy to pay Bryce Harper 20 something million dollars in his age 39 and 40 season to DH for me. I think that'll be just fine. So I I do think that some of it is like, okay, you're already getting a bargain at $26 million a year for the next five years or four years. That's actually five. Let's, let's bump up the 22 million and add another year or two to this to, to make up for this bargain that I've really cut you. Um, I, I don't think it'll be some crazy extension until he's 44. He wants it. He wants to play into his 40s, he said. He's going to play till he can't play anymore. I, I, I feel like baseball is like, it's is, a, is everything. It, it's also him. one thing to say when you're 31 that you want to play into your 40s, right? right. Uh, let's get to like, how are you feeling at age 36, right? Yeah. Let's see so, if then you want to play seven more years after you're 36, which is then five years away from right now, which is 31. It just seems like if, you, if you're a team dealing with a Scott Boris client, it must be a nightmare. Horrible. Wow. It, and it's something we're going to talk about, right? Isn't it one of the questions? Like, it, I, I 
think the league is starting to get a little sick of dealing with, with Boris in general. And I think we're kind of seeing the results of that, but I, I think nothing comes of it ultimately because yeah. why would they, you know, and, like, and what, like we're taking leverage away from the team entirely. If something does come of this right now, it's going to become like the, the NFL, like, Oh, like Bryce Harper holds out of spring training. I'll, I'll lose my shit. If that starts happening too, that's my biggest pet peeve in the NFL. Um, and I know guys like, deserve to get their money and it's not all guaranteed and there's instances where it's definitely valid but you also have instances where it's like guys are already getting paid pretty well i remember like xavian howard with the dolphins like he was just pissed that byron jones was making more money than him so right he like let's not do that like yeah. i what kind of precedent does that send or, or set um i'm interested i'm always on the player side here i i think it makes sense though if if they just tack on a year or two but i don't see why the phillies would want to do that because harper said he wants to win he's still making a lot of money they're investing in the team still. Like, it's not like it's just Harper and they're mediocre. Like they're, they keep adding to this team. Why should they, you know, pay more for Harper when you know, they did take somewhat of a risk at the time, everybody was saying 13 years, 300 million, you know, and then, and then the trout contract and then it just started to go crazy from there. But there was a lot of people at the time saying this contract won't age. Well, now it's one of the best contracts in baseball. It so, just shows you how fluid these things are. One more point to that. It's like we'd almost be creating a double standard where we see so many of these bad long-term deals. I mean, dude, Josh Hamilton, Albert Pujols in LA. How about right now? Is Xander Bogart's going to be worth 290? Like he's playing second base at this point. That's a good point. Like, so it's like the one time you finally get a good deal, it's you like, have to oh, pay more. we need more than the one well, it's a bad deal. Yeah, yeah. You're not getting a rebate. You're not getting a tax return basically on, on the bad deals. You're not getting it's money ridiculous. back. Oh, sorry, I sucked. Here's 20% of the deal back. Rendon ain't doing that. Right. We're, we're not saying, you know, oh, poor organization for handing Joey Votto $25 million when he like can't swing last year. But when Bryce Harper's only making 26 and he wants to add nine years from now, it's like, dude, what are we doing? We can't say, oh, woe is the player who's making $26 million. Yes. It is so funny, though. I'm also thinking from the Phillies perspective, right? Like Boris is, I think, doing this right now for a reason because he's seeing the market go crazy, right? And then the Phillies are as well. So it's like, hey, if you're the Phillies, Dave Dombrowski, Harper, another thumbs up from the Zoom. Let's wait until you're 33 or 34. Let's wait a couple of years to see if you still want the extra few years. But then in a few years, right? Players are making $40 million a year with this market. So it's also then the Phillies, do you actually do it now to still get him on a discount in a couple of years? What is the market going to look like in 10 years when yeah. he's 40? It's such a it's such a battle of wits in the market. Yeah. And it's honestly incredibly entertaining, right? Yeah. I know it makes you angry, but I'm, I'm entertained right now. I am. Yeah. The last thing I'll say is zero dollars are deferred of this contract. Yeah. And that's a big part of it too, right? It's it's upfront. You don't see that in these kind of deals. So that also kind of makes it more justifiable to be a lower AAV. We're seeing money deferred out the ass these days. Nothing deferred here. So, I mean, that's part of it too. Yeah. It's a great segue into question one of the mailbag. And that comes to us from Alex underscore wit broad on IG. Will this offseason mark the beginning of the downfall of the Boris Empire? Mm-hmm. Now, he, in the comment asked on our Instagram, he added a ton of context. And I want to read it out loud because you can tell that Alex put a lot of thought into this question. Last year, the story of free agency was about players valuing total value and length over AAV. Now, Scott Boris has four marquee free agents 
who are Cody Bellinger, Blake Snell, Jordan Montgomery, J.D. Martinez, who are Matt being, and Matt Chapman, who are being forced to consider shorter-term deals at higher AAVs. They also have a smaller selection of teams who could expect to be competitive in the next few years and have money to sign long-term with, Yankees, Cubs, Giants, etc., Along with this class of free agents, Carlos Correa didn't get that long-term deal he was promised. Chris Bryant was relegated to the shadow realm that is the Colorado Rockies. Hey, respect Rocktober, et cetera, et cetera. Will his philosophy begin to sour among current and potential future clients? So again, his current class of free agents who are still unsigned, Cody Bellinger, Blake Snell, Jordan Montgomery, Matt Chapman, J.D. Martinez. Jack? Real quick, I want to adjust the Correa narrative because there were multiple instances where he could have gotten a long-term deal and things unique to him limited him from getting that long-term deal. When he should have gotten that long-term deal was after his final year in Houston and he was changing agents over to Boris. So he wanted a short-term deal so Boris could get the entirety of the agent cut. Really, Boris wanted a short-term deal so he could get the entirety of a long-term agent cut. The first deal for Correa from the Giants was long-term. And then the second deal for Correa from the Mets was still long-term, but a little bit shorter term. And then he settled on the third one because of red flags that came up in medical. So it was entirely on Correa. He had multiple chances to sign a long-term deal, and things didn't happen because of unfortunate circumstances. I'm I'm interested to see how this continues to go. Um, you know, generally it was like small market teams kind of refused to to work with Scott Boris. I think that was mostly because they just used that as an excuse to not have to pay most of Boris's clients who are extremely expensive. Um, and just say, oh no, it's just because we're not working with Boris, not because we're we're cheap. But now I think we're seeing more teams just being unwilling to play that game. And 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 it's just I, I think it's it's frustrating for teams trying to to get things going here and and you have to wait on you know, when Boris wants to settle in with certain clients and then you've had reports come out, I don't know how much validity there is to it, but I think it was a Wall Street Journal, if I'm not mistaken. Was it was it Lindsay Adler that said that that there was you know conversation about the fact that Boris was kind of saying, hey, yeah, I know you're calling about Montgomery, but let me let me tell you about Blake Snell. Um, and and if, if that happens to be the case, like that, that's even more of an issue. So, I, look, I don't know. If, if any of those things are, are true, but I do know that teams have had frustrations in dealing with Boris in the past. And I do know that there's a common denominator here in the players that are still free agents uh, and the market, maybe not materializing the way that they thought. And that's where it can work against you when there's not as many potential suitors. So I think Boris is going to have to kind of reevaluate the way he does things because, you know, I don't think he controls the entire market the way he used to. And um, Vince still he, does. And yeah, and he's losing clients, right? He's bled several clients, you know, each of the last few years, not as many superstars, but he's bleeding, you know, some of his second tier solid clients. And I think it's because they feel second tier. And if you're an agent, you know, no matter how good your main clients are, you can't make your, your other guys feel second tier. Well, and Aram, that's a really alarming quote that you just shared because that is not what an agent should be doing. An agent should be representing the individual. Putting the, the individual agent, on a pedestal works for the player. He works the for the player. player. He doesn't work for the group of players in his cluster. He works yeah. for each player individually. There's a reason that each individual player signs a contract with an agent. So that would be really bad if he was yeah. doing that and pitching other clients. 
Yeah. I think Scott Boris used to be the smartest guy in the room. I remember back in 2017, I was reading up on this. Do you remember when, and Boris has done this before, but this one just stuck in my mind more than the others. When Jake Arrieta was a free agent, Scott Boris gave teams a 75-page binder, basically laying out why Jake Arrieta is the man, why he deserves all this money. And if I'm not mistaken, I think he got a pretty good deal after that. I think Scott Boris had access to numbers that maybe not all front offices have. And now, as we sit here in current 2024, I think every front office has these same numbers that Scott Boris currently has. I think they're all working on the same plane, and Boris doesn't have that same leg up that he used to. And Michael K made a really good point um, on the Michael K show where – because I think Michael Kay and Scott Boris, they're really close. They've known each other for years. And Michael Kay asked Scott Boris, why don't you represent broadcasters? And Boris said, well, number one, I don't know the salaries of every broadcaster to kind of pit them against each other. But the main point that I took away from it that kind of illustrates who Scott Boris is, and I quote, if I'm representing you and negotiating for you when I say walk, you walk. Yeah. That quote stung because that means he's fully in control here. Like I'm sure Blake Snell, Jordan Montgomery, some of these guys, they want to pitch. They want to get into spring training. Like pitchers and catchers have reported spring training games are starting here in a couple of weeks. No, but at this the same week, time, a couple this days, week, literally yeah. this week. But if I'm a player, do I feel bad for these guys just bowing down to Boris instead of starting to take control? I don't know how to feel. But what I do know is Scott Boris has a way of doing things. And he doesn't have more information than everybody else. And there's a stalemate right now. And he's telling his players to walk when I don't know if they want to walk. Yeah. That's the issue. I, he's, he's one of the best ever. He's arguably the best ever. He's probably the best ever do it really in, in baseball specifically. But, you know. I, there becomes a time where I think teams shift with the way that they go about things. And there's a new industry standard to the way that you're supposed to conduct yourself. And I think normally Boris used to set that standard and it's just become a very competitive industry as well. Right. You have so many other agencies that have a lot of really good clients. Um, and, and, and there's a little bit more of, I think, parity across agencies yeah. now in, in baseball. So, you know, teams don't have to play Scott Boris's game as much. He used to basically run a monopoly on, on the top players in baseball. And yeah, you might miss out on, on some very talented players, but you can still go get plenty of very good baseball players without playing the Boris game um, and just, you know, playing right into his hand. So, you know, he's got to bend a little bit, and I don't know if he if he's capable of doing so. So it'll be interesting to see. I think the way that these four guys, you know, these these free agents, settle up, you know, wherever it ends up, if they don't get deals that you know we or or the general consensus thought that you know they were going to get, I think it's going to start to become a a much louder conversation about whether these tactics that have worked in the past are going to still be able to work for Boris. And I think a lot of players will start to wonder that too. You trust him here. If you if, if Boris is telling you to walk in your snow, you walk. Okay, he, he's going to get me the money. He always gets guys money. If you do all that shit and then you don't get the best deal, that's where things are going to really start shaking up, I think. Mm -hmm. And one of Boris's big tactics, right? He's a master in the media, right? We know certain writers. Is he? Right. He used to be, right? And that's my point is that these big-time writers, I'll just 
John Heyman of the New York Post <laughs> will write about how the Yankees need like these three certain players or it's a failure of the offseason. Like, I think those columns used to put more pressure on teams like the Yankees. And the reason I bring them up is not because of my fandom, but because there is a rumor right now that there is an offer on the table from the Yankees to Blake Snell. Now, with the exact dollar amount, which is funny too. Exactly. That exact and there's. There's a wrinkle in free agency that I don't think a lot of people know that if you are a team, you cannot come out and say, we're not interested in that player. Mm -hmm. Because what it does is it messes with the free agency market. Like all teams understand that they cannot say, no, we're out on this team, on this player, or we have our full set of guys. We're done with free agents because it'll mess up the market. Right. So being a Yankee fan, I've seen that Scott Boris, I think, has used the Yankees in order to put pressure on the rest of the market as kind of the big bad villain, the team with all of the money. Yeah. I think teams are starting to realize, hey, this is the same game being played over and over again. So, Jack, to your point, when you say he's not a master of the media, I agree with you. It's not anymore. But it's he used to. You can't say that he didn't because these tactics have been used for the past decade and a half since Twitter X was even started to put pressure on because he knows teams can't deny that they're in on a certain player. Also, the one-liner shit got corny quick. Really <laughs> corny. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> Anything else on Scott Boris before we move on to the second question? He lost me at the the belly, like loosen up the belt thing. That, that yeah. one still makes me uncomfortable. I, I yeah, I will say Bellinger and Snell are the two that, like, I think will decide the trajectory of Scott Boris moving forward. Chapman has had concerns, surely, and um, Montgomery, like, Montgomery's consistent. Snell, like, we've seen him look like a guy that isn't a nine-figure pitcher, but he's coming off of a Cy Young. So, like, this is a chance to have maximum stock for Snell. And then Bellinger, his stock couldn't have been lower 365 days ago, and now it couldn't be higher. So, like, if those guys aren't being paid at their apex, maybe, like, Snell and Bellinger scream that might be the best they'll ever be last year. How does he maneuver that? If they get gypped, it it doesn't look good for Boris. I have a quick question to add to the mailbag on this topic. <laughs> Sorry. Do you think that teams are getting weary of pitchers most notably right because pitchers you know take longer to get back into things do you think the longer the wait actually the teams are less likely to sign these guys because of spring training and they want to get all of their guys all their ducks in a row right they aren't sure like how a pitcher looks because they haven't seen him taking him in with only a couple weeks left of the season how do you think teams feel about it me personally I know or at least I think I'd like to know that Pitchers like Blake Snell, Jordan Montgomery are still getting their work in, right? This is not their first yeah. spring training. They understand what it takes to get ready for a season because they've done it, a lot of these guys, for five, seven years, at least in Major League Baseball camp. So I'm not that nervous right now. But let's say a week passes. Let's say another week after that passes. When do you start to think to yourself, these guys might not sign at all, or that a team shouldn't sign them because they won't be ready for opening day? So I think what works into his favor, into Boris and and some of these players' favor, is that you know injuries are inevitable on the mound, especially. And like if you're the Orioles now, you're you're, you're stirring a little bit. Like you're trying to find. I don't know if they're going to spend now with the new ownership yet or not. You know, but just an example. Like 
if they were a larger market team, maybe they pivot and say, all right, whatever that we were 45, 50 million apart. You know, we'll meet you halfway and let's make this happen. Um, I, I, I think that side of it helps. I think you start to sound the alarms once you get about a week to, two, I would say two weeks from opening day. Like at that point, it's like, you want that guy integrated with your team. You want him working with your catchers. I think that's the biggest part, right? Is like working with the catchers. I'm not worried about him being ready physically or anything like that. Like, like you said, they're going to be getting their work and they know their bodies better than anybody. Um, but yeah, working with catchers and, and, and really just being around the team. I Once you get about a week and a half out, like I, that's something that, I would be pretty, pretty nervous about, um, especially with the amount of investment that's going to be going into some of these guys. All right. Question number two, who are the best prospects to watch in spring training besides the obvious? Um, this was asked by at D boss 18 on Instagram. He's going to the Rays versus twins spring training games and the tigers versus the Orioles. Sneaky prospects don't necessarily have to be in those games, but, if they are, I'm sure it'll help out our guy. That's a question for you guys. I don't know. I want you go first, Jack. I stuck with those two games because, like, I think there's a sneaky prospect for a, a bunch of these guys. And by the way, really fun listening this week on the call up. We did rapid fire for us, Arm and I, storylines in each camp revolving prospects. Um, so go listen to that if you have interest. I will say for one, Tampa, yeah. One thing I want to address before you get into the sneaky good prospects, this is the worst podcast in America for rapid fire. We've been called out so many times being like, quick question, and then we just keep talking. I love it, me personally. I'm just, yeah. you're going to get a ton of information, which is awesome. That's what yeah, I'm saying. 100%. But um, yeah, the call up, it was like, again, relatively speaking, rapid fire. We kept yeah. it under an hour on rapid both. fire for us. Yes. Um, so Rays, I highlighted Dominic Keegan, who I know Arm is very high on. Ronnie Simon is another guy that we both love. Uh, and then now Yuki Uesawa, you'll probably see him in like the sixth inning, and that'll be fun. He signed a minor league deal um, with the Rays in like December. And, you know, this is a guy that, you know, was maybe looking at a one-year MLB deal. Maybe he was going to go back to the NPB, but he did get that deal. The Twins... Um, obviously all eyes are on Brooks Lee, but Junior Severino may hit a ball 500 feet this spring. And then Deshaun Kersey absolutely flies and he's a non-roster invite. Uh, the Tigers, I'm fascinated by the catcher, Dylan Dingler, and then Eddie Slayonard, who we also talked about on the call up. And then the Orioles, pitchers, 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 Bradish is hurt, Means is delayed. Talked about Chase McDermott and Cade Povich. If those guys look good. I mean, why would you entertain the trade when McDermott could be the opening day five? And apparently, I, I got a text from uh, our friend Brendan Mortensen that Cole Irvin added five inches of horizontal break to his sinker. I, I, I so text too. Yeah, he was like, are you bought in? I was like, I'm good. Yes. Thanks. Though. Wait, we're not bought in? Or I'm not. I he's, might be. He's, he's <laughs> Brendan sharing propaganda out here on, on Cole Irvin. Just, just pumping him up. I, I'll be in when I see him roll like a 60% ground ball rate for like 10 starts. Then then, then I might be in. Um, but yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head on a lot of these players. Uh, th there's a few. I'm kind of looking more at the the double A guys that probably don't have a chance to make it out of camp, but could really expedite that process. Uh I, the Mets, I, I, there's a few arms with the Mets and I'm just really fascinated to monitor. 
I want to see what Christian Scott can do because I think that's a guy that could break into the rotation this year. Uh, really electric fastball that just gets a ton of whiff at the top of the zone. You got like Mike Vassell, another arm that I think will be close to big league ready at, at the early parts of the year. Uh, those are two guys that I would love to see. Uwasawa's top of my list of like, I can't wait to see what he does because yeah. I thought he deserved a big league deal. Ray snag him on a minor league deal because teams had concern about the velocity. I think the pitch shapes are great, you know, all things considered. And I think he could end up being a sneaky piece that ends up making the team out of camp because they could always use more arms. And then Jacob Marcy with the Padres. You know, the, the Padres are still trying to figure out who's going to play center field slash left. They got pro far, like he might, you'll probably play a corner outfield. But Marcy can play center field. I was really impressed with him in the Arizona Fall League. Uh, I, he had a phenomenal year. He can run. He hits just enough, you know, just enough power, walks. I, I think Marcy's a guy that if he shows out in spring training could end up uh, breaking camp with the Padres and, and playing some center field. I was going to say all the guys that you guys said. Uh, so yeah. thanks for filling in for me. Um, question number three. Pick three teams that you think will have 100 wins and three teams with 100 losses and why? Asked by Owen Casterline on IG. Can I go first? Yes. We'll start with the 100 wins. Dodgers, Braves, I think it's pretty self-explanatory. Dodgers, I mean, do we need to say why? And Braves, kind of the same thing. The third team that I want to throw in there, which is also kind of self-explanatory, but I don't think they're getting enough credit for possibly the best roster that they've had in this mini-ish dynasty. The Astros are loaded. Loaded, loaded, loaded. The offense, we know. Jordan, Bregman, Altuve. I think Jeremy Pena is going to be better. I think inserting Yanner Diaz into the catching role instead of Martin Maldonado is going to add a ton of impact at the plate. Chas McCormick has developed from like this fourth outfielder into a legit center fielder or left fielder, wherever you put them, they have dudes at every position on offense and they're going to be good defensively. The bullpen with Hayter, Presley, Abreu might be the best back three in a bullpen I've ever seen in my baseball watching life. We talked about the Royals back in that 2015-2014 kind of area with Kelvin Herrera, Greg Holland, and Wade Davis. I think these guys are better. And then we get to the rotation. Verlander is, you know, still Verlander, right? He still had a good year last year. Framber's going to bounce back. Christian Javier, I think, is still good, right? And do, you, Brown, do you think Javier's good, Peter? I do. I obviously think Javier is good. Okay. Hunter Brown. If he takes that next step, which I think he will, and I think we all think so, and then they're going to get Luis Garcia back in the middle of the season, and in the meantime, they have Rikidi. I don't know if McCullers is going to be back, but I don't think it's going to matter. This Astros team is so freaking good. They're going to be my World Series pick. You do not want to face this team in the postseason, and I think they're going to win 100 games in the regular season. Arm Jack wants to go next for 100 wins. I got it. 100 wins, I got one other team. Because uh, it's the obvious. You got the low-hanging fruit, you know, yep. with the teams, the Braves, the Dodgers. I think this is finally the Mariners' year where they wow. can they go 100 wins here. I, and I'm just – I'm looking at the team, the deficiencies from last year, and, and I feel like they've pretty much answered a lot of them. Like, I, I wanted to see some more consistent pop. We all did, right? And we thought Teoscar would do that. He didn't. 
Uh, instead, they go get Mitch Haniger, or excuse me, well, they do get Mitch Haniger, yeah. but Mitch Garver, wrong Mitch. Garver, I think, is going to provide that thump that they needed so badly. Don't even bother putting him behind the dish. Love him at the DH spot. I actually really like the Luke Rayleigh get, too, because, you know, if it doesn't work for him in the outfield, maybe they get him some reps at first base if Ty France isn't performing. Ty France can't be worse. I love the rotation. Uh, obviously, everybody loves the rotation. The bullpen continues to just be fantastic. And the thing is, is it, they traded a lot of their top prospects to go get Luis Castillo, a phenomenal trade, and it's worked out extremely well for them. But they've rebuilt the system since then, and they've got assets now. They've been drafting well. They've been developing pretty well. And I think if, if they are playing well and look good, they could go make another big splash. But adding Polanco to the fold two, they've got reasonably – you could say they've got, what, six guys, maybe seven that could hit you 20 home runs next year. Mm-hmm. They haven't had that since – They've even been good again, right? Like they they haven't had a, a reasonable uh, shot at five plus guys hitting you twenty plus, and and I think this is the year where Julio Rodriguez ascends to the MVP candidacy. I think all these things can come together, and we might have a hundred win team here. Wow, Jack, uh, I have the same list as you, Peter. Low hanging fruit city, and Houston is really good. Houston is incredible. All right, let's talk the losers teams that we think will lose 100 games and why again i think there's two low-hanging fruit and then there's the team that you could throw in there the two low-hanging fruit unfortunately rocktober is probably looking at 100 losses there's another from the zoom update number two the oakland a's are probably looking at 100 losses now you could say three might be the nationals i'm gonna go a different route the miami marlins are gonna lose 100 games <laughs> here this that. season <laughs> No, I went through their team. I, there is a path here. Did you have you seen the YouTube video? Yeah, it was a great YouTube video. Credit to Will Cohen. Cohen Credit kicked ass Cohen. on that. YouTube. And Peyton. Peyton helped in that too. Peyton kicked ass on that. Just, but the reason I am fading the Marlins so hard is I look at this team and like they're a couple injuries away from their key guys to having literally nobody. They have no depth. Jesus Zardo was the ace, and you got a 21 year old on an innings limit as your number two, right? If anything bad happens to any of those guys, this is one of the weaker rotations. It's one of the weaker bullpens. And if you look at each individual on the field, they're all like 0.4 F4 guys because they're terrible defenders. They lost Brent Brown. They lost the hitting coach that all the, the, all the guys in the lineup were saying, this was the guy who helped us with all, you know, just getting ready for a game. And now he's the Seattle Mariners hitting coach, which speaks to your 100 win pick for the Mariners. I think this team could be a literal disaster in 2024. Arm? I think it's fair. I think I think they're the pitching's too good to to lose a hundred. I think you'd struggle to find a team with pitching like that that's lost a hundred games in the last few years or ten years even, but I do think they're gonna struggle to win more than here's the thing though. They had a pretty good rotation in 2022 when Sandy won the unanimous Cy Young and they won 69 games. That's seven wins away from losing 100. So that's what I'm thinking here. They don't have Sandy's innings this year. And the last time they were over 78 and a half was 2016. Last time before that, 2010. Like they've had a lot of terrible seasons with good pitching staffs. That's why if anything happens to Lazardo, this could be a nightmare. So in 2022... Their starting lineup, they had one player with an OPS, or sorry, two, but you can't count Jazz. He played 60 games. So they had one qualified player 
with a an OPS over 700. One, it was Garrett Cooper, 752. Everybody else was either in high 500s or mid 600s. The next best was Jorge Soler at 695. Oh. So that team sucked ass. <laughs> uh, it, it's it's interesting. I, I, I think that's not a bad pick because I could see the wheels really fall off and then they'll trade and, you know, just deplete the team. Outside of the obvious, looking around, I, look, I know the Angels are out here saying, oh, yeah, like we can compete, blah, 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 blah. Like, I don't think they do. The White Sox are obviously losing 100 games, I think, though. Like, I don't see I, – I I feel very confident that the White Sox lose around 100 games. Is that is that not fair, Jack? Like, I'm just looking at what they're going to be rolling out on, on a daily basis pitching-wise. Because I ultimately think when, when you have a 100-loss team, it's really about the pitching. Like, it, it's it's just this, this disaster that four out of the five days, you're pretty much at a scheduled disadvantage. And I'm assuming they trade Dylan Cease at some point in the season. But even if they don't, who's your number two? Who would you consider? Because I'll tell you, I actually would consider the White Sox number two. I swear to God, I'm not even just trying to be funny. Eric Fetty. Yes. I have. I think Eric Fetty finishes with a lower ERA than Michael Kopech. Yes. Then you have Mike Soroka, Chris Flexen, and you know it's going to be an open audition. It's going to be a legitimately open tryouts for whoever else wants to grab a spot in the rotation. You know, they have the 14 guys they got for Aaron Bummer. Um, they have a few other arms that they could sprinkle in there. It's going to be an open competition with guys failing left and right. Maybe a couple guys end up grabbing a spot, but they're going to throw away a lot of games. I think the White Sox finished with one of the worst records in Major League Baseball. And it's not like the offense is that good. I like some of the moves they've made, but they're not going to be able to outslug you know teams that they're facing with with that pitching staff. Jack, you had such a funny tweet about the White Sox, you know, graphic about like we're ready for spring trading, and it was like. It was like a bench at Dylan Cease. It was so pitchers and catchers reporting. The graphic was Cease at the top, and then it was like Crochet, um, Maldonado, Baroka, Martin Maldonado, and Max Stassi. And I said the Two catchers, the catchers of 2023 F war of this graphic outside of Dylan Cease was negative 1.2. Like. Dude, I, I was. Have you gonna, seen the bullpen? Did, I, okay, I was about to get into the bullpen, I, and I was going to ask you, Peter. I was like, "Have you seen the White Sox pitching staff?" I think Jordan Leisure is a closer. We talked about that on the call of like he should be the closer. This guy has yet to log a major league pitch, and I think he should be the closer on opening day. John Brevia, he's, no, he's no Yamamoto who hasn't thrown that inning. Dude, forty-year-old Jesse Chavez, a non-roster invitee, is lining up like a closer right now for the White Sox. He's going to throw 150 innings this year. Jesse Chavez. Dude, I mean, this is one of the worst pitching staffs I've seen in recent memory. So the White Sox are my third 100-loss team. Mm. Yeah. I, I, that's that's probably the right answer, but I wanted to get a little bit crazy. They they even had the worst Rule 5 pick, I think. Shane Johan's going to have to throw innings. I, I didn't understand. Like, I still don't get that one. Like, Wait, it's fastball. Did they pick high in the Rule Five draft? Uh, yeah. like sixth or seventh. They there Pretty was high. a lot of arms they could have taken instead of Shane Drohan. and and uh, Drohan's gonna I don't think is gonna do very well. So yeah, I mean, other than Crochet and you know Leisure, I I like Brebia. Like th- that's it. Like this bullpen gonna even <laughs> even when they have the lead, this bullpen is going to kill them. Yes. Good luck, Chicago White Sox. All right, question number four. We're staying on the shitting on people theme 
thoughts on the Anthony Rendon and Levi Stout dramas? Asked by Calvin underscore Medcalf on Twitter. So I think all of us are aware of what Anthony Rendon has said, and I'll read the exact quote for you in a minute. But Levi Stout, I had heard this, but it's not really over social media unless you're in red circles or possibly (laughs) Seattle Mariner circles. But here's what he said. And I quote, it was different, he told the Seattle Times. It was a little bit of, I'd say, lack of direction in my sense. It was kind of not much of a philosophy. It was kind of just go play baseball and we'll help you along the way. That's the most exciting thing for me is to get back to that process of them looking at me and saying, all right, this is what we know and what we can do to make you the best version of himself. So Levi Stout is basically shitting on the Reds' development. Let's yeah. talk Levi Stout before we talk Anthony Rendon. Arm. So Stout, the throw-in in that Luis Castillo, Castillo trade? Right? No, or that was the that uh, was that the Winker deal. Yeah, yeah, that was the Eugenio Suarez Winker deal, right? Yeah, it was Williamson, Connor Phillips, and Stout. I think. Yeah. So here's the thing. I hear what he's saying, and that's first of all, I think the trend of these two totally different situations is that it's things that a lot of players feel that you just keep to yourself because it comes off as an excuse. And at the end of the day, and like, I, I will never throw, I, I, w- I wish I could be as good at, at any athletic endeavor as, as Levi Stout is. I mean, the guy's big league time, like that's everybody's dream. But at the end of the day, you have to have some more accountability for, for, for your performance. And yeah. at the end of the day, no one's making you give up bombs. You know, they, they're maybe not helping you get out the same way. And I understand that, but here's the thing. Levi Stout has one pitch. It's a slider. That's one pitch. Everything else, he didn't throw for a strike. And I can I can tell you right now, this includes AAA. Final 15 starts of the or appearances starts of the season. He landed his slider first strike 70% of the time, his fastball first strike 56% of the time, his changeup first strike 46% of the time, and his curveball strike 40 51% of the time. So when you're every pitch but the fastball is a strike barely half the time, you know, barely more than half the time, and it's getting bombed. Like what plan do they want you? What do you, what do you want them to tell you? Like they want, you want them to change your arsenal, change your pitch shape. Like do you want them to make your fastball not have a 12, 16 OPS against like, I understand what he's saying. It's Sorry. it's, but that you have so to have some accountability for what you're doing. And uh, I, I think that's, I think it's unfair to, to, to the Reds to just come out and put them on blast like that. As if, you know, yeah. you don't have more autonomy over your success. Um, I just I I thought those quotes were were kind of kind of lame to be honest. And he could be an awesome guy, and he could be just airing out some frustration. And yeah. I hear him, I get it. Air it out privately, you know. And you could you could say that without saying it. You could just say, "I the Mariners are very forward thinking pitching wise. Uh, I'm excited to be in one of the best organizations that when it comes to pitching development." You you said everything you needed to say without saying it. Um, you know, I I just I I I think there needs to be more accountability there. Jack. I, I fully agree. Um, I never blame a player for sticking to the script in media scrums because those are where you get outed. And I fully, fully empathize with the players that want to show a little bit of personality and want to show a little bit of brain power. And they get dinged because they worded something poorly. And I think this was worded poorly. And this was a frustration that he could have expressed privately. I'm, I'm 100% with Aram. The, the Rendon thing, you guys don't mind me pivoting real quick. Yeah, Could I just say one thing um, before we move on to Anthony Rendon. 
when I first heard the comments, I did laugh because I also thought to myself, is he wrong? Like, maybe not. That's the thing. Like, maybe. he might not be wrong. Like, the Reds have not objectively done a great job with pitching development, right, compared to other teams. It's been better lately, right? Guys like Andrew Abbott have come up the system. They have a lot of young guns. Things are looking better, right? You draft Rhett Louder. Reds fans are understandably excited about that, and they should be. But maybe in the past 10 years, maybe in the past 20 years, like the Reds has not been a starting pitching hotbed, right? So there might be some truth to what he is saying. However, I 1,000 million percent agree with the both of you. Why say it? I mean, nothing good is going to come from it. There's a difference between not using what your agent or whoever you're working with hands you a script and then just saying things that have no... No positivity to it. Like, right, Jack? Like, you make a bet, right? Where it's like... Yeah, I bet all the time. No, it's like you could punch me in the face if I get this wrong. There's no upside for you. There's no upside in what Levi Stout is saying. No one's going to come to his aid and be like, you know what, Levi? That was so insightful of you. There's no upside to it. And again, we're going to talk about... Go ahead. I would say Luke Weaver is going to chime in and be like, yeah, me too. Yeah, they screwed me too. Like I, I just I don't I don't I don't get it. I, I, Abbott Abbott seemed to do well. I mean, we saw flashes of Ashcraft showing some great things, you mm-hmm. know. But I agree. I mean, they haven't developed great. Um, but now it puts pressure. It's like, all right, you you got all the resources you need now. You got a plan. Let's see what it looks like now that you have those resources. So I think it puts a little bit more, you know, pressure on him now to to perform now that you're out of that hellhole for pitching development. Love that you said that because I was going to add that at the end too. It puts pressure on himself when he's with the Mariners now. Now you got to prove it, dude. Yep. And one guy who has failed to prove anything, Anthony Rendell. Here's the quote. It's never been a top priority for me when speaking about playing baseball. It's a job. I do this to make a living. My faith and my family come first before this job. So if things come before it, I'm leaving. It's a priority. I'm here, aren't I? This is my job. I'm here. Jack? So is it a priority first... or is it not? I don't understand. Jack, first reaction. Um, It seems like it is the third priority in his life. And here's the thing. That's fine. And there are way more players in Major League Baseball than any fan would care to admit that just view playing baseball is a job that they do really well and get paid really well to do that job. I will never knock a player for just viewing it as a job and a way to make a living. But this was the wrong guy to say it. <laughs> like a- Anybody else could have said something like this. And I'm like, okay, yeah, like you're going to get heat from people that, you know, haven't been through the minor league grind like you and, and aren't, you know, arriving to a hotel at 4 a.m., like I, I get it. Like, and here's the thing, the struggles and the downside of being a professional athlete that that changes 10 years into your career. Hell, even like three years into your career, right? You get to the big leagues. You're just so happy to be on a charter flight. Then flights start to suck four years down the road because you're doing it all the time and you're away from your family. Yeah. And speaking about the three year thing, once you play three years in major league baseball, like three years of service time, you get a pension for life on top of it. So I just wanted to add to that three-year point. It might be then, all right, I'm locked in for life to get paid forever. 
Wait, is it the biggest pension is 10 years? I know 10 years. 10 is where you get like everything. 10 is where you get everything, but I know three years you get a guaranteed pension for the rest of your life. Got it. I will say like I had personally no problem with him prioritizing faith and family over baseball. For him to say that publicly, like the jackass that he's been the last three years, he and like what he has failed to do since COVID, since he really signed this deal, he was the wrong guy to deliver this message. Arm, Arm, before you give your point, just to put things in perspective, since 2021, he has played in 148 Angels games. That is 30.4% of the total games played by the Angels in the last three seasons. So he's there every third day. So based on his that's the, that's the problem is, you know, when you're not available, yeah. And, and this is the thing is you haven't actually really been doing your job. So it's one thing to say, yeah, you know, my job, you know, sometimes it feels like a job, but if you're doing it, then it's fine. Right. But when you're available once out of every three games and, and you're playing at a mediocre level at best, when you are available and you're, you're dodging media and you're, you're, but grabbing fans by the by the shirt and like 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 you're a middle school bully like it, there's little things like that where it's just like okay now I'm starting to question whether not only whether you you know actually like your job whether you're even willing to do the job so when you go out and say things like that yeah there's so many players that feel that way uh, and and they keep it to themselves and they work hard and they do their job but when it comes from someone who's not really been doing his job and makes more money than the vast majority of the league. I think it's a little bit frustrating for fans to hear. Uh, you know, I think if – and people are comparing it to like Jokic, right? If Jokic came out outright and said, I don't love basketball, I'm not complaining about it if I'm a Nuggets fan because the guy's winning you titles and he's winning MVPs. Like, he, he's a superstar. I wish – you know, everybody wants them to like it more because no one wants to watch someone play a game that they love and, and have them not like it as much. It just makes it less fun. But that's the reality of it sometimes. The thing with Rendon is he strikes me like, like an edgy teen. If yeah. you watch like – if you watch the interviews, he likes to get the reaction. He loves, he literally is like that edgy teen that doesn't get enough attention and wants to like ruffle feathers and rile people up. And, and that's the weird thing to me is like, he loves to stick it to people. He loves to to stir the pot. And that's exactly what he was doing. He wanted us to be doing this right now. Uh, he loves it. He knew he's, he's a smart guy, man. Like he knew what he was doing. And that's the frustrating part for me is like, I watch a guy that is going out of his way to stir the pot and piss people off and rub people the wrong way, just so he can say, "Oh, like I'm sorry you feel that way." Yeah, so I don't he care likes what the you attention think. that it brings. He I'm, likes being the edgy team. He's he's forcing a reaction so he can in turn say, "I don't care what you think about me," mm-hmm. and it's it's stupid. Yeah, he's it's immature. Like a, he's like an edgy teen mixed with a 45 year old accountant who's been balancing sheets for the past 25 years and he's like this job yeah it's a priority i'm here i get paid well but it's not at the top of my priority list and i also thought about it this way too like arm you brought up right nicole Jokic, who is the best player in the nba and when he made those comments about not loving basketball he's like i just want to go home to serbia i don't want to go to the parade a parade is what you get for winning an nba title And he's a multiple-time MVP, I think, back-to-back. I'm not the biggest basketball guy. I think it's back-to-back. But I was also thinking even smaller than that. If Marcus Semyon came out and had these comments after missing seven games in seven years or whatever (laughs) it is, nobody would give a shit, right? And yeah, he happened to win a title, but even if the Rangers didn't, I think people would laugh and joke and be like, no wonder he thinks it's a job. He hasn't missed a game in seven years. 
Anthony yeah. Rendon, you are not in the Marcus Semien bucket at all. And I think it pisses a lot of fans off too, just that inner kid in everybody. You're telling me you don't want to play professional baseball and get paid? That's what you're telling me? So I think it hits home with a lot of fans. It hit home with me because I can't imagine somebody not thinking baseball is at – I get it, family and faith, sure. But, like, the ultimate, right? We'd play for free to play Major League Baseball. So I understand that these guys feel a certain Still way. Still have kids <laughs> that I'm not. Yeah, I wouldn't. I would. But I I understand that some of these guys who have been playing for years feel this way. But, again, it's the same point. There's no upside to what he is saying at all. Oh, his upside. His upside is stir the pot and piss people off. He, he clearly gets off to it. And he gets paid to do so, which is so unfortunate. A lot. Um, anything else before we move on to question five? All right, okay. question number five. You've been selected to secede Rob Manfred in 2029. What's the first change you would try to implement to improve the game? Asked by at Ryan Brody 14 on Twitter. And if you didn't know, Rob Manfred is done as commissioner in the 2029 MLB season. No more Rob Manfred personally. Oh, I'm pretty happy about it. I made a TikTok grittying to it. I'm very happy. I don't think we need him anymore. Maybe maybe that's how you got the, the sty. <laughs> maybe he's sending. It's Vladdy. It's Rob Manfred. And it's the Marlins. They're just he's like, the we got thumb got right, right there. Just got some dirt in there by accident. Grittying too hard. Bacteria. Yeah. Uh -huh. Bacteria. Yeah. Um, I have number one. And it's just been my thing forever. And blackouts. And blackouts immediately. Right? And it sounds simple, right? So more fans can watch. But the more fans watch, the more popular the game is going to be. You have to find a way to end the blackouts. Now, I don't even know if that's a Rob Manfred thing. I know it's like a TV deal thing. But I know he has his hands in that bucket at least. I know he could at least make some changes there. It makes no sense that I'm in New York. And unless I get the Yes Network, I can't watch the Yankees. Or that person in Ohio who can't watch the Reds or anybody across the country who can't watch their local team because of these TV deals causing blackouts makes no sense yeah. to me. And if you end them, you will have more people watching baseball. It's a literal no brainer other than money. And but the irony is most of these companies are, you know, not even paying out the, the, the money and the deal that they agree to. And then it's blacked out anyway. So you have these companies defaulting on, on their deal. And then I can't watch for the MLB package that I paid for, even though the team that's blocking my ability to watch it in my area didn't even pay all of the money that they owe the team for the television rights, which just is, is broken. It makes no sense at all. Yeah. You got your rule, Jack. I got two things that are very like one is obviously just an arm thing, but like it, that I doubt many people care about. So, no I, more I, onions. I would, no more onions at stadiums. No onions in any ballpark in America. <laughs> you, can, you can have one. The Blue Jays can have onions. That's it. Sure. Yeah. Just not in the continental U.S. Um, I've got I've got one that I assume you guys will just kind of nod along to, and then one that may be contentious. I uh, I want the ABS challenge system in. I want the yeah. challenge system in baseball. I you know I would love to have that. I don't want the full ABS system in at all because then that takes away human error, and I think human error is important. But I would like for that human error to be able to be corrected, and that in is what the challenge system does. And I've loved it in AAA. Yeah, especially in big moments, right? Like mm -hmm. you know, we don't need to review every 
other at bat, but if it's a, you know, a three, one count and it's a difference between a full count or, or a base runner in the ninth inning, like, yeah, that's where I want to see the challenge. And I'd pay a lot of money to watch Josh Donaldson challenge and lose and, lose. <laughs> and get rung up on a ball that like you watch the tennis challenges, like that just like scrapes the edge of yeah. the strike zone. And you just got to watch that guy walk back to the dugout. Like I need a Josh Donaldson L on a challenge yes. before does, he retires. Does Donaldson have a job right now? I don't know. I don't think so. Maybe he'll be in AAA, so I'll see that anyways. Right. (laughs) And here's the thing. Like, you know that that guy is one of the very few that will still argue with the home plate umpire after he sees the challenge. As if if he can do something. Yeah, Yeah. it's the tech. Like, the computer just rung you up. Um, My other one, I want the five best records in each league making the postseason. That eliminates the idea of a division winner going to the DS immediately, but I would like the top three in each league to go to the DS four and five to play a three best of three game wildcard set. And then the best record in the national league sees that winner of four and five. So a true kind of seeding system. I would like that because, you know, like I don't need to see the 82 win guardians in the postseason. I really don't. When what, you've what got a team on, like Toronto that was pinched last year. What if I bet on them to make the playoffs? Is that cool? Yeah, I mean, sure. Go ahead this year. But no, but no, but I, I totally love this idea too because the schedule has changed, right? You don't yeah, play your division as many times anymore, especially this year. Every team is going to play every team in Major League Baseball. So the more interleague play we get, the more teams are facing teams that they haven't played before and the less impact it is on the divisional matchups. It made sense when the Yankees and the Red Sox would play 20 times a year and the White Sox and the Twins would play. Tw- that's just not the case anymore. So I love that idea. I'd be pro that. Good shit. It, it does take away from the identity of a division. Like, could you even name the NBA divisions? There's like a Pacific and Atlantic and all that shit. It doesn't matter. It's just where do you align in the Eastern Conference? I think that's fine. I yeah. get that. Like the AL Central has an identity, but like if you're the five seed in the American League, I think that's way more interesting. A battle for the five seed than. Oh, well, you're battling for that second wild card spot, even though a team that has six fewer wins than you is going to get a postseason berth anyways. I actually think it could force new rivalries, potentially, right? Like you're a fifth and a sixth seed battling. Those games are going to be contentious. And like we may see, you know, the Rays face off against the Mariners. And they're starting to throw at each other because like this game matters a ton. So it may not be the division identity. But I, you're still going to get crazy competitive games regardless of that. Yes, it takes away a little bit from the identity. But at the same time, I mean, how much does that matter, Arm? I, I think it does a little bit. That's probably my only concern with it is I, I look at the NBA. They had like rivalry week or whatever the hell that was a couple yeah. weeks ago. And I was like, are those teams even rivals? Like they're, they're not really. Um, and and the, the, the problem is with the division, you're going to have the same teams – going at it for the same spots for the most part every year. Whereas you know the five and six seed could be different, you know, every couple of years or every year. So that part of it is a little bit of a concern. And I think with baseball, like you do have, I mean, I, I it's been really fun as we've continued to just do a, a national show, seeing how much contention there is, especially in the NL central. I look at the NL central. I'm like, I love it. Cubs, Brewers, Cardinals, love they don't hate each other. And now the pirates are trying to get in and be like, let me at them like scrappy do. And maybe they'll get in there. But like, it, it's just fun to see, like, it's fun to see that. Of course you always had it in the AL, uh, but now the Yankees and Red Sox have kind of ruined that in the AL East a little bit, but 
Um, you, you don't want to see Clark Schmidt taking on. Um, I, you know, that's my, not, that, there's my commissioner answer. I will stop ESPN games of the Red Sox and Yankees until both teams <laughs> are good again, please. But then my actual answer is that one, I would expedite expansion. I, I think that's one of the best things that major league baseball can do. Let's have 32 teams. Nashville, I think, needs to have a team. Um, it's one of my favorite minor league parks I've been to. And then, you know, Salt Lake City, wherever, you can figure out the other one. I just think having two more cities involved here would be huge for baseball because it, baseball just does a really good job, for the most part, of engaging the community and being something that, you know, you could do every single day and follow. And both of those areas would really, I think, grab onto the team and, and support them well. The other is, you know, and this is probably not a hugely popular thing, but I just think it's so easy and simple to do. I would love to see these minor league games have some better coverage. And we've seen the spring breakout thing, but how about like you have a matchup of the week or a matchup, even a couple games a month that like air on MLB network uh, with an actual television crew and cover an actual minor league game. And I think you could actually generate a lot more interest and attention to it. If I tell you, I mean, look at how many people watch the college world series, watch Rhett Louder pitch against Paul Skeens. I know it's a little bit different because it's a college world series and you have you know, team pride and school pride and things like that. And those were two draft guys right before, you know, they're, they're going to go and all that good stuff. But, you know, I think if, if I tell you, Hey, you know, we get two of the best pitching prospects squaring off. Um, and some of these teams are so loaded uh, and, and you can watch that on MLB network. I think it would be a blast. Um, and, and, and that's something that I think would really help promote the minor leagues, promote these players. And um, it doesn't take much, a couple games a month that I think people would, would definitely gravitate towards. I'm I'm with you because the the long standing problem with minor league baseball is if you do not have an MILB TV subscription, these guys disappear after college oh, yeah. until they get to the big leagues. You don't watch the, your team's top prospects because you don't have MILB TV. And I get it. And I think MILB TV is a great purchase personally because I'm on there every night for six months. But um, <laughs> it's like it is a helpful tool for people, but it's not it's not the level of an ESPN plus like a, a deal as simple as like ESPN plus. If it was, Hey, we we're streaming on MILB TV, but also ESPN plus there you go. You have fans that are basketball fans. that got it for college basketball that are, that are tuning into minor league baseball. Yeah. No. So I, the, the last thing I'll add on that is you have a situation here where like some of these teams have become so loaded. Like you're telling me that you wouldn't watch, you got the Norfolk tides versus the Durham bulls and the triple a, championship in las vegas which is just a lot of fun you've got jackson holiday colton Cowser, kobe mayo joey ortiz Cade povich was on the bump for norfolk then durham you know depending i don't remember exactly what was going on there in terms of who was in the big leagues at the time and who wasn't i don't think they were with the team but you could have realistically had a junior camonero and a curtis mean and 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 so many different exciting young players uh squaring off in vegas for the championship in AAA. And those guys actually cared about it. Once you get there, you're in Vegas. Like you might as well go in. Yeah. Um, and, and those guys cared about winning. Um, that that would be something that a three-game set, you put that on TV. I genuinely think people would watch it. Are you going to make millions of dollars? No, but I think it's really good for the overall, uh, I just think, interest in the sport, following these minor leaguers. So much money is going into cards and all this stuff. And then the last thing is, um, you know, I, I think they're doing these spring breakout games for a reason. Let's keep building on that and, and and draw some more interest in the minor leagues. The broadcasts, the camera angles aren't good enough. And it's it's just tough to see a lot of the time with a lot of these affiliates. Yeah, Arm, I'm just thinking about your incredible card collection too. Like you mentioned that right in passing a little bit. 
how impactful has it been to be able to watch all these minor leaguers? It's fun. And buy their cards and the stock goes up on them, right? Yeah. That's like a, a big reason why some people get involved in baseball in the first place is they view buying cards as like buying stocks. And imagine if that was just readily available. Yeah. You get more people into the hobby and then that's just better for baseball as well. A hundred percent dynasty fantasy too. Like, you know, you can watch your guys on TV that you have. Like that's, that's interesting. Question number six. And this one was our most asked question. And there was like six or seven different versions of it. So I apologize for not crediting everybody, but at least, you know, you know, we're, we're talking about these guys and the questions surround Hunter green and Spencer Strider adding new pitches. And I understand why a lot of fans are asking about it because, right, there's not a ton of headlines coming out of spring training. But to hear that two guys who have two dominant pitches who could develop third pitches and really take that next step up, right? Spencer Schreider, him taking the next step up is like from potential Cy Young to like automatic Cy Young. But Hunter Green is a big guy to be adding potentially a splitter or a curveball or a changeup. So I'm good. Let's talk about Hunter Green first. Then we'll end on Spencer Strider. Do any of you guys want to? Oh, the floor is yours for Hunter Green. I will say, if you struggle to throw a changeup, it is so good that the splitter is being like introduced en masse to baseball again. So many hard throwers that are fastball slider are adding a splitter because it's easier to cut speed and cut spin than a changeup. And Aram, I'm sure, is going to get into it, but like you don't really have to have your hand move a different way with a splitter. It's like you're throwing that at full speed. It's the grip that does everything for you. So it's a good way to have something that isn't like running glove side or, or cutting glove side. Yeah. So a lot of these guys we talk about, you're like, you know, either uh, a pronator or a supinator. Supinator is going to be a guy that spins the hell out of the ball. Pronator is going to be a guy that can really throw a changeup. Usually guys are one or the other. Um, a lot of these Japanese unbelievable freaks uh like in terms of what they can do with the baseball can do both but um you know i, I think i i it's one of those things that you, you hear a lot of the lore of like oh new pitch we're trying it it's it's kind of the same thing as like guy taking bp and it's like oh his swing looks different sometimes it's nothing sometimes it's something and i think you got to take it case by case look hunter green splitter doesn't need to be good it's just got to be better than whatever his changeup looked like, which his changeup just looked like a, a, it looked like a firm 90 mile an hour fastball at times. Like it just, it just was not a changeup. So I think if, if it's just half decent and can change eye levels and give a third look makes a huge difference. And I look at Strider, like Strider's obviously a super, a supinator in terms of like he, he rips things. He likes to, to spin it. Um, guys that have been able to separate two breaking balls can have a lot of success. I'm probably buying the strider curveball more than I'm buying the the green splitter because I think it's easier to to do. But the thing is those curve that those pitches could blend a little bit, but I still think that's fine. It's enough of a taste breaker. So I I I I'm I'm more bullish on the strider new pitch, but I am very interested to see what it looks like for green. Cause if it's anything decent, I think it'll help the play the fastball play up too, which can can tend to be a little flat. Yeah, Strider really needs a pitch against righties. If you look at his splits, he was definitely worse off against right-handed bats. You saw a lot of guys just kind of sitting dead red fastball and just kind of taking on the slider. And they were punishing the fastball in cases. Most cases they weren't because it's 100 with 20 inches of induced vertical break and it's just going by. You can sit there and wait on it, but it's still a hard pitch to hit. But if guys are timing it up, 
I saw a lot of opposite field home runs, like even in the playoffs, right? The Phillies ambushed him on these fastballs and were just crushing him. So if he can get a good pitch against righties, which seems weird with a guy like Spencer Strider, you would assume he'd be better off against righties. If you look at the splits, he actually hasn't been. But adding those third pitches, so you can pitch to both righties and lefties, not to mention just having a third look so guys aren't just sitting on two different pitches is incredibly impactful. Yeah, especially because the changeup was just kind of on. There, there was a couple that he mixed in that were good here and there, but he really struggled to locate it. He threw, and he would only throw it to lefties. He threw it about seven percent of the time, and you know, landed a first strike barely, barely over half the time. So, I, like, I, I think it's honestly going to be more of an asset for him against lefties once he, you know, really. I, I honestly think if you normalize it over five to 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 six seasons or whatever it may be, he's going to skew still where he's going to dominate righties more than, than lefties. But I, I think it just gives him another look in general. So you can't play that guessing game and try to catch up to that fastball. And if it helps him keep the ball in the yard a little bit more, I mean, that's pretty much the only thing he's missing at this point is it's just being able to keep the ball in the yard a bit more. Um, and I, I think not being able to ambush heaters is, is pretty much what will do that for him. Yeah. Anything else boys or move on? Move on. Okay, question number seven. Which upcoming free agent makes themselves the most money this season and why? Asked by at Caleb Parm on Twitter. So I have a big list, right? I went through pretty much every position and named some guys that I think are worthy of talking about. Um, And we can dwindle down the list or I could just hand it over to you guys and you guys give your answer. Do you want me to go through the list? I mean... Up to you guys. Top names. Yeah, go top names because I've got some that are a little bit deeper too. So I think this is a big year for Tyler O'Neill when he signed with the Red Sox because – go ahead. No, is Tyler O'Neill is not one of the top names. Are you going to go through the list of top names or are you going to go just guys that you like? I just think um, which upcoming free agent can make themselves the most money this season. I was thinking about a guy like Tyler O'Neill because if Tyler O'Neill has another bad season, we're looking at a guy who's probably going to work off one-year deals for a very long time. If he has that MVP-type level season, which is in the tank when you look at just the straight talent, now, can he do it? I don't know, but he's a guy if everything sets up for him this year, and he does have that great year, I think he can sign a big multi-year deal. If it doesn't, I think he's going to be more of a one-year. The big free agents, right? Shane Bieber, our Walker Bueller, Pete Alonzo, Haseon Kim has a mutual option. Of course, there's Juan Soto, there's Max Freed, right? But I identified Tyler O'Neill as this being like a big season for him. Yeah. So O'Neill was one of mine. There were a couple other guys that jumped out to me. Labor Torres, I think, can have a huge year. And he's young, man. He's going to hit the open market at 27 years old, I want to say. 28. Yeah, Willie Adamas had a bad year last year. If Adamas gets on the right track again and puts together a season like he did in 2022, I want to say, that guy can get himself a bag. And we know that people are willing to pay shortstops. Frankie Montas has a great opportunity here. If this guy's healthy and he throws 120 innings, the stuff is the stuff. And if the stuff looks like it did his last year in Oakland before the trade to New York, I'm giving this guy a three-year deal and I'm paying a lot of money for that. And the reports out of Reds camp is that he's, he's good. throwing really well right now. Yeah. Sneaky one for you here. 
I know this guy hasn't been great the last two years, but Peter, you're going to watch him very, very closely this year. If Jonathan Loisega looks like an elite setup guy, I'm willing to pay a hundred at a bowling ball. Staying in that division too, Brandon Lowe, Brandon Lau. That's another big one because if he's back in the 35 to 40 home run department, which he has shown in the past, it's like, well, how much is he worth when he hits the open market at 30? Yeah. Right. Arm, who else is on your list? I mean, that's definitely a guy because, you know, the, the power from the left side at second base and is so valuable if he can stay on the field and, and, and do that. Tay Oscar is obviously another answer where it's just because of what he's capable of. And now you put him in L.A. in a situation where, you know, they seem to maximize guys. And uh, it's a good situation for him in terms of that lineup. Like we know what he can do in terms of the, the bat at ball. That is crazy. It's just consistently, you know, the approach, driving the ball in the air, doing all those things like if it all clicks, he could hit 35, you know, and, 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 and put up ridiculous stat lines. So that's a guy I'm definitely looking at. And then, you know, Michael Conforto, because right now Michael Conforto is, is just not going to get anything on the open market after this year. It's going to be one year, small, small amounts even at, at this point. So like if Conforto plays the way that, you know, we know he he's capable of and has played in the past, I think that's a guy that can make himself some money. He'd still be, you know, like 32 hitting free agency. And we know what is in that bat. I'm not super optimistic about it, but you know, he's a guy that could definitely make himself a, a good chunk of change if he performs you know, the way he, he is capable of and that we've seen in the past. Another deep cut, Mike Soroka is going to hit the open market next Jeez. year at 27. Now, I was just thinking to myself, like Mike Soroka throws 150 innings at a mid three ZRA oh. and he gets on the market at oh 27. God. I know, I know, <laughs> no, that's why I was thinking like, that's why I said deep cut. I don't think it's going to happen, Yeah, but I've seen crazier, right? We can't forget this guy was a really top pitching prospect and burst onto the scene. Then was dealing with tons of injuries. The velo left him, the command left him. Yeah. But if he can look, 75% of what he did that incredible season. I think it was back in 2019. Could he earn himself a two or three year deal? For sure. I think even right. if he's in the low fours and healthy, like, yeah. Yeah. And one more is Tanner Scott because, yes, he did it last year. But if Scott can prove that that wasn't a fluke, right? That he is that dude. And if he's even, you talk about like 70%, if he's at 75, 80% of what he was last year. That guy's getting paid like one of the better closers in the game. Um, you know, I mean, he was he was nails last season. So that's a guy that I think he just anything close to what he did last year, he's getting a handful of years and he's getting a lot of money. 100%. Question number eight, more top prospect talk. The question is, for top prospects who are likely to get called up this year, Skeens, Langford, et cetera, is it more important for a pitcher to get a few starts under his belt in the minor leagues or for a hitter to get reps against minor league pitching before getting the call? Basically, who benefits the most from minor league reps before going to the majors, hitters or pitchers? Asked by at Cody Voga, V-O-G-A, on Instagram. Arm Jack wants to tackle it first. I think it's a great question. Um, the, the the interesting thing is, you know, I think it's it's a little bit nuanced, but I would say for the most part, it's it's hitters, man. Like 
it, it is so hard to freaking hit in this game. And like, you can work on some things in bullpens. Uh, I, I think you could do a lot of things pitching wise and, and get yourself pretty, pretty close to ready to go. They do those sim games and things like that, uh, that get guys, get guys ready when they're coming back off an of injury and things like that. Like a lot of top guys don't end up even going and throwing that many rehab innings. And I know rehab's different than, than prospects, you know, uh, development, but I think for for hitters, it's it's way more important to get those reps, get those at bats. I mean, I'm not even making any any judgment on 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 hitters. I think this is the best way to summarize it. I can make some pretty definitive judgments. You know, and I wouldn't say definitive, but I, I could feel much more confident about my assessment on a pitcher in one to two starts than I could in a hitter in ten to fifteen twenty plate appearances. And it's because it takes so much more for a hitter to get those reps, to get those opportunities and whether it's to prove themselves as a hitter or to, to just develop. So um, I think that's, those things kind of align. And I think for a hitter, it's, it's way more important. And that's why I think Jackson holiday should start the year in triple a. Uh, and then on top of that, you have pitchers that, you know, there's so many injuries now, if a guy's pretty close to ready, I'd rather him finish the, the development at the big league level because not hundred percent ready could still be, you know, a, a solid ERA and competitive starts on the mound not hundred percent ready at the plate could be I'm getting blown up and hitting 200 and striking out a lot. So it's kind of two different, it's more zero sum for hitters versus pitchers. Like you can compete and still not be hundred percent big league ready. The way that I look at it is like, we have the data now to compare pitches from low A to the big leagues. So we can look at a pitcher pitch by pitch and say, well, this fact, this fastball in a vacuum is equivalent to this successful major league fastball. This slider in a vacuum is equivalent to this successful major league slider. So you see certain data points in pitchers, you think that they can get outs at the major league level if the command is right. Now, I, I do think that there is a bit of acclimation as you continue to climb the ladder against quality of hitter, where it's like, hey, you may get thrown here. You may get, you know, a little, I don't know, concerned about like, the ability of the opposing hitter here, like in double A and triple A, the hitters are just better. But if you've got a Spencer Strider-esque fastball, that thing is going to make some big league hitters look silly. Mm -hmm. If you are hammering low A fastballs, guess what? Overwhelming majority of those guys don't have Spencer Strider fastballs. So I want to see the stuff and the chess match get harder for hitters level by level. Kyle Harrison, Marco Luciano, look at their stats from last year. I think both were about in the same spot about of, of being ready for the big leagues. And one was a lot more comfortable at the big league level than the other. Yeah. And just going back to some of our conversa conversations about college baseball, right? We've almost answered this question without answering it in the sense of, Jack, you've said Paul Skeens could get outs right now, right? Yes. With how good Dylan Cruz was in college or White Langford, you weren't saying, oh, yeah. They could hit 25 home runs this season. No, well, Langford apparently could. Lang Langford maybe could. Langford is just proving us like wrong. Different, different freak. But I think that, right, we think Chase Burns, when he's 101 with the slider and the curveball, he could probably get out right now. Now, there's of course, there's an acclimation process. He has to learn more and just because you have great stuff. But that translates better to Major League Baseball than however good of a hitter, right? We've even seen pitchers make their debuts much earlier than hitters, notably. Right. So that's kind of the answer there. I think you guys hit hit the nail on the head. Uh, question number nine. Do the Rays trade established big league pieces like Harold Ramirez or Brandon Lau at the trade deadline to clear room for guys like Curtis Mead, Junior Caminero, 
or eventually Carson Williams? Or should they trade pieces now to make room on the opening day roster? Asked by Todd Bernius on Instagram. Jack, you're smiling. Great question, Todd. I don't know. Like, yeah. I have no and idea we... what they're doing right now. Trading for Caballero, signing Ahmed Rosario. You've got Paredes at third. You got Yandi at first. You got Lau at second, but then you got Camineros, big league ready. You got Mead, who's big league ready. You got Eslavis Basabe, who looks like a big league utility piece. There are so many pieces here. I have no idea what they're thinking right now. Trading for Dylan Cease, potentially? <laughs> That's not really in their MO, but I mean, what do you do? This is basically the Orioles, right? A surplus of guys with not enough positions. And you could say, well, depth is important, right? We're looking at Matt McClain right now, excuse me, who has a setback due to an oblique thing, right? And Red's Twitter, understandably, is saying, well, we now have tons of infielders, right? It's good to have depth. But at the same time, Zach Littell is the number three starter right now on him. Like, we need more pitching in here. And you could say, well, Ryan Pepio is better than Zach Littell. I would agree with you. But the thing is, the Rays are still throwing out guys who should probably not be the three or the four in a prohibitive playoff favorite, right, in the Rays. Yeah, they're in an interesting spot because, you know, we 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 thought that they'd move Paredes. That seemed to be the, the, the talk. Doesn't look like that's going to happen. Uh, Lau, I feel like, would have been moved by now. He hasn't been. So, like, I feel like that's a guy that, now maybe if, maybe if something's there, you, you could do it. But how many teams are going to swap pitching for one year of a, you know an injured second baseman? Does allow make them more willing to move somebody else? Maybe, but it's not the Rays' mo because if you move somebody else with more control and then allows a free agent who you're probably not going to pay, yeah. uh, now you're left with even less assets. So they're in an interesting spot, and I, I just look at the the prospects, and I know you never want to plan around the performance of prospects, but we're talking about arguably the, the, the best offensive prospect in baseball and junior Camonero, um, who can play third, uh, who can plug in a short one needed and, and probably, you know, comes into that DH spot. I, I think, you no brainer have to move Harold Ramirez at this point, uh, because not only do you have Camonero, uh, you also have Curtis Mead who could play first base, who could also take that DH spot. I know Harold plays a little outfield, but basically never does. I, I think Harold's the guy you move, uh, and and probably gets you, you know, a sneaky return. And for them, it's like, it doesn't have to be A to B where it's like, I'm trading Harold for pitching. They could trade Harold, get prospect capital back, and then be more comfortable about, uh, comfortable about trading other prospect capital to go get another arm. I will say they have to do something, especially after signing Rosario. And to me, it seems like signing Rosario is, is them tipping their hand of like saying, hey, we're going to move one of these defensively limited guys, a Jonathan Aranda, a Harold Ramirez, uh, because we signed, I know Rosario is not the best defender, but we signed a guy that is a little bit more defensively uh, talented, I think, than Aranda, uh, Harold Ramirez, uh, and some of the other pieces they have. Curtis Mead and Junior Camonero cannot be in the minor leagues come May. Uh, I think it would be ridiculous for them to still be in the minor leagues there. Uh, so they got to clear some space. And to me, it really only makes sense if it's, Harold Ramirez, Jonathan Aranda, and then maybe it has to be the perfect situation for Brandon Lau, but you know I, they've held on to him this long. What, why, why trade him now? Let me give you guys a hypothetical, and my fear is that this hypothetical will just end up being the truth. Let's say they move none of these guys. Is Junior Caminero and Curtis Mead in the minor leagues? 
Like, is that yeah. what's going to happen? Unfortunately, as much as we don't want it to happen, like we're dealing with the here. They probably won't end up trading these guys. Like who wants Harold Ramirez on February 21st right now? Maybe some teams do. Yeah. But it's probably not going to be the package that the Rays want. Then they won't end up moving him because they're the Rays and that's what they do. I saw a quote earlier today. I'll find the source. Um, Junior Caminero went right from Montgomery to the big leagues. He didn't stop in Durham. Um, Let's see. Pipeline. It was an MLB.com article. Junior Caminero isn't a lock for an opening day roster spot, but he's confident about one thing. Quote, if I go to AAA, I'm not going to spend a lot of time there. Hmm. You might. (laughs) I hope you don't. I hope you don't spend a day in AAA. I hope you're on the opening day roster, Junior. But, like, who's to say, you know, you've got an everyday job on April 15th? I'm just not sure that that's going to happen, unfortunately. And, like, man, I wish they had one of these dudes that, like, could play even a serviceable shortstop. I wish Junior could play, like, a passable shortstop. And hell, dude, if he goes to triple, he might play shortstop. He should. He should. He should. And if, if he truck. proves over the course of a month that Caminero can play a passable shortstop, get his ass up there quick. I just don't understand how Junior Caminero can play shortstop for the rest <laughs> of his career. Just because, like, I saw him at the Futures game, and obviously you guys know way more about me, but it was my first time ever seeing him in person. And I looked over to you guys and I'm like, how is he even playing third? Because this dude is look like the biggest player on the field yeah. by far. I, and I okay. was like, and then you guys are saying he's playing short. And I'm like, how? It's like yeah. judge so, playing short. He's enormous. I've he's not judge. <laughs> I know, but like he's six just, one. No way. He was six five two. 50 no he least. wasn't bro i, I think, think he's like 62 at at tallest you he is, forget, he is a peter truck. vision peter vision is incredibly accurate i know sorry uh, <laughs> he is built like a truck but i will say like you seen carlos correa <laughs> you've seen some of these bigger shortstops you guys hate carlos correa you guys hate him shut by up. your rankings shut up <laughs> I, I think he, he, yeah, but to Peter's point, like he, he'd he be stretch real finish or, yeah. um, so, okay. He plays third. Nope. Can't. You got Isak Paredes. I think the, the, the most clear spot is you have a me to common arrow competition for a DH spot that, you know, I think currently is a platoon between Aranda and Harold Ramirez and should honestly just be Harold Ramirez traded Aranda bench left, you know, this gives him one left-handed bat on the, off the bench. And then your DH is, is Caminero. Um, That just seems to make way more sense to me. And then, you know, when you have a left-handed pitcher, Brandon Lau bench, you move over Paredes. Maybe you can play second base. Caminero plays third. Like I think you can get creative there, but they can't even do that until they trade Harold. So my prediction is they, they move Harold. And then if Caminero is really playing well, or Meade is really playing well, then I I think they clear another spot. Uh, But yeah, it's it's a weird situation. I was very surprised to see the Rosario signing, um, but yeah, you know, 1.5 million with 500k in escalators because they felt like they had nothing to lose and they needed an insurance policy at shortstop with walls out. Uh, right now, I mean, Caballero is really the only guy that can play shortstop for them outside of Basabe, who uh, I, I guess they look at Rosario as, as an upgrade over. It is also confusing because they have Jose Caballero and Junior Caminero. That it's is. Also- it's also just fun. generally confusing for anybody He's listening. Kidding. The Mariners have two guys named Mitch. You heard Arm screw that up. Like, that's crazy. And <laughs> yeah, that was a me thing. 
<laughs> my prediction is they do absolutely nothing and we have a uh, a 90 minute podcast on what the Rays should do opening day that's my prediction because that's normally what happens in major league baseball we like to say that they should do the right thing however will they is always the question and the last question here on the mailbag is does jack hate just baseball media asked by at running noah 34 on twitter jack do you hate us uh audio answer no video answer hat change no go Ooh. get yourself some just baseball merch in the episode that looks unworn it looks i mean look it's at mine of, it's got a little fold right here that just kind of pisses me off and then yours like, looks like it got run over by a semi look yeah. at the difference between jack and my hat but i've got like this this is a guy right here this is a guy who cares about the company that guy in that zoom does not. Or is so wearing... P head. Yeah, it is P head. <laughs> like that is my excuse. But also, Peter, are you wearing yours into like ditches? Like, are you digging ditches while he's head first this? diving with the hat on? Yeah, what's going on here? It does look, it does look disgusting. <laughs> <In the light>. <laughs> <laughs> God, I've been wearing it so much. I wear it to the gym. Yeah, whatever. Uh, so go get yours in the episode description. Again, thank you everybody for asking questions. Uh, for this mailbag it was a blast again make sure to be on the lookout on our instagram on our twitter we'll do these every couple of weeks and then during the season every other wednesday either arm and i will do it jack and i whatever combination we'll be doing the mailbag so be sure on the lookout follow our instagram and twitter those are in the episode description and if you enjoyed leave a five-star review whether that be on spotify or apple podcasts been really enjoying the reviews that have been coming in please they're the best way to support this podcast and another great way hit that subscribe button on youtube come on people and if you haven't listened yet my five unit play is on our youtube channel i thought it came out really well shout out peyton shout out our editor will cohen shout out arm Layton for giving me the idea in the first place when he's just kind of his thought process of like yeah the marlins are just not gonna be that good this year and i'm like i'm gonna look more into this and then I saw what he was saying. So make sure to go watch that YouTube video. That's Jack. That's Arm. I'm Peter. We'll be back on Friday. And with that, 